Excuse me, sir. What are you doing? I'm all set. Did you take that book with you into the bathroom? What do you want to hear? But I don't want to be a secondary character. Ivan, hello. You ratted me out, Stephen. <laughs> How could you do this to me, Ivan? <laughs> hello? <laughs> and hello to you, our listeners. We are, but I don't want to be a secondary character, a Seinfeld podcast based out of Melbourne, Australia. Every week we take a random episode of the show and examine the secondary characters from that episode. I'm one of your hosts, Stephen. I'm the other host, Ivan the Rat. The Rat. And uh, this week we are doing a, I would say, underrated Season 9 episode, The Bookstore. Yeah, a very interesting one, if you say. Uh, season 9, Episode 17 of Seinfeld, and uh, you, you think it's underrated. I, I think it was um, okay. I mean, yeah, it had its funny moments, but it's not really memorable for me. Maybe not underrated, but just a uh, not... It's an episode that's not talked about too much. Mm, yes, yes. No, not really maybe, discussed in the community. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe for the reasons that we'll get into as we go through this podcast episode. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at bidwabasspodcast at gmail.com. You can uh, say hello on all forms of social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Reddit. You can listen to all of our previous episodes and leave us a review if you'd be so kind on whatever podcast app you choose. And uh, you can support us financially as well. That's right. We are on Patreon and PayPal. And on Patreon right now, you do get exclusive access to our podcast. Curbcast Season 2, that's a Curb Your Enthusiasm review podcast, and Season 11, an original series where Stephen and I, we come up with modern Seinfeld episodes, plot, secondary characters and all, and we read them out. That's right. And uh, we have put Season 11 on a bit of a pause just while we uh, finish fleshing out the last four episodes. However, they will be done towards the end of this year, hopefully uh, in person, uh, if we can get back into the studio, depending on coronavirus and lockdowns and all the rest. And recently we did a interview with Kenny Kramer, the real life inspiration for Cosmo Kramer and our Patreons did get access to that interview about a week early. That is on the normal feed though. Um, if you go back, you'll find that interview, uh, I believe before this episode in the order of the uh, podcast feed. So check that one out. Finally as well, we uh, have a Facebook group, Seinfeldisms. It is the biggest Facebook group, uh, Seinfeld Facebook group in the world. Um, we're close to 80,000 members. Probably by the time this comes out, we'll have ticked over 80,000 members, which is amazing. And we're having regular trivia events uh, the second event on September 5 uh, would have just happened to you listening to this. Uh, and we do have a future event. I believe it'll be September 19 for our UK and Europe listeners and members of the group. Lovely. Yes, it is lovely. And uh, yeah, we'll be having a whole bunch of stuff uh, happening in the future. Some of those things involving Kenny Kramer. We can't reveal the details yet, but um, keep an eye on the page. Join in on the fun and uh, all will be revealed as it comes. Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. And speaking of Seinfeldisms, my friend, it is the intersection of reality and Seinfeld in our very locked down lives at the moment in Melbourne. So Stephen, what Seinfeld related things have happened to you recently, bud? Another pretty standard Seinfeldism. I think I've had more than enough of these lately, but another uh, a Seinfeld reference in a podcast I listen to. It's called Risky Business. It's an Australian cybersecurity podcast. And uh, for some reason in the episode uh, between each news segment every week uh, when the episode comes out, they talk about the latest tax and cybersecurity issues. And uh, between each news item, they had a little uh, like a little Seinfeld baseline like they do in the show, you know, between ad breaks. Uh, and that, that's it. That's my Seinfeldism. What about you? Uh, well, for the second week in a row, I've got nothing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's not much we can really do. I think that I think the um, the most common one is the is the podcast one for me, and occasionally a couple of others have happened. But yeah, in lockdown, which is soon to end, fingers crossed. Hopefully, we'll mm. um, after that. Hopefully, we'll we'll have a few more. Yeah, yeah, I'll I'll be able to walk into a store and say, look, I found a Seinfeld VHS tape or something. <laughs> You'll just force them to happen for the sake of uh, talking about them on the show. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you will stock Seinfeld for yeah, my Seinfeldism. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. you will. Yep. Just go around terrorizing people into stocking Seinfeld. Lovely. Uh, this is a friend store, sir. No, Seinfeld. <laughs> You're no friend of mine, Seinfeld. <laughs> nope. 
All right. Uh, Seinfeld news. I've got a few things to talk about this week. First one is probably my favorite Seinfeld news piece for the last little while. A artist by the name of Caroline Ramos. She's a San Diego uh, illustrator. She is the former art director of the San Diego City Beat. She is using the pandemic to create a poster, uh, an illustration for each of Jerry's 66 girlfriends across the entire uh, nine seasons. Um, Wow. Yeah, it's really, really cool. You can check out her Instagram. Uh, starting in May, she started putting out an illustration a day. You'll find her Instagram in the show notes. And uh, she's going in order of their appearance. So the very first post in May was, uh, who was that? The first girlfriend, uh, Laura from the Seinfeld Chronicles, who is technically not a girlfriend, but Jerry's first unrequited love interest, at least. Um, but Vanessa from the stakeout, I guess you could say, is the yeah, uh, the first yeah. one. Yeah. First, like, proper reciprocated love interest in the show. She did a little interview with a American radio station, KBPS, and in that interview she said that the inspiration to start the project was, one, being locked down and having a lot more free time and uh, creative energy that she needed to let out, but also that uh, she felt like she wanted to, I guess, express her frustration and anger, you know, about all the racial injustice protests that have been happening uh, over the last few months, but she felt like she couldn't do it in a, I guess, an authentic way. So instead of that, she decided to start the, the Seinfeld Girlfriends Project. And uh, as of recording, the latest post is Valerie from the Millennium, which is towards the end of season eight. So she's almost at the mm. end of the project. And if she continues with the one a day post rate, uh, she will be done sort of mid to late September. And she also said in the interview that eventually she hopes to sell them as individual prints on an online store. But at the moment, she's just concentrating on finishing the project. Uh, and if she that does- Sidra one will be very popular. I think so. Sidra yeah, from sure. the implant. <laughs> That'd probably be the yeah. big seller. Yeah, I think so. I think so. There'll be, there'll definitely be, um, yeah, a few top sellers like Sidra. And yeah, when they are available for prints, we'll, we'll let you know. Hopefully that's before we wind up the podcast in about four or five months. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so really cool project. Um, she's really talented and well worth uh, a look. So yeah, check out her Instagram in the show notes for all those details. Cool, man. What do you got next? Yeah. Second Seinfeld news items is that a new indie comedy called Faith Based, which stars Jason Alexander and comedian Margaret Cho, was recently picked up by Gravitas Ventures. They're a film, uh, an indie film distributor. The comedy also stars uh, Tanner Thomason, David Kochner, Ketchner, someone like that, uh, something like that. Sorry if I'm mispronouncing name. Luke Barnett and uh, a whole bunch of other actors. And uh, it was directed by Vincent uh, Masquial. Again, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. And uh, <laughs> quote, it's about two slacker friends who come to the realization that every low budget Christian movie starring 90s TV actors makes millions of dollars. The characters played by Jason and Margaret, they set out on a mission to make, quote, a prayer in space. That's the name of the film in the film, which is the story mm. of the first prayer ever to be prayed in space. So I'm assuming a set, uh, <laughs> their film in the film is set in future. Um, it most probably, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it uh, sounds like an interesting premise, very uh, indie and kind of quirky. It will be, depending on, again, you know, your local area, uh, it will be shown in select theaters and it will come out on various digital cable and uh, satellite platforms on October 9th. So keep an eye on your local listings for that one. I think you mentioned Faith Based in a Seinfeld news segment like ages ago. You did mention that Jason was going to star in it or something. So it's good that uh, they filmed it before the pandemic and it's going to get picked up. That's fab. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I'm sure a lot of creative projects have either been abandoned or put on hold due to the pandemic, but it's good that this one, you know, is still getting the green light from Gravitas. It's, uh, you know, it's good. Yes, it definitely has Gravitas. (laughs) It has Gravitas. Obviously, it has enough Gravitas to be picked up. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Have have faith and you can get anything done, right? That's it. And I mean, you've got Jason (laughs) Alexander and Margaret Cho, who's fantastic as well. So yeah, pretty strong case as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. The third and final bit of Seinfeld news, not so much a news item that's happened recently, more of, I guess, a throwback, but news to me, and I'm assuming to a lot of you, the listeners. Now, uh, you know, Ivan and I have talked about Seinfeld every week, more or less, for the last three and a half years, and we've covered a whole lot of weird situations in real life uh, that involve <laughs> yeah. uh, either, either the Seinfeld cast or, you know, some reference to Seinfeld. But this is one I've never actually heard, and that's surprising to me. Um, so back in 2006, a man by the name of Michael Costanza actually sued NBC for $100 million because he thought that they copied his likeness 
for the inspiration for George Costanza. That I've never heard this story before, which is very surprising because that's uh, that's a pretty big deal. He went to college with Seinfeld in the seventies. I don't know whether they were friends or if they were just like campus. You know, they just went to the same campus. But uh, he did say in an interview at the time in 2005, 2006 to ABC that he's stocky like George. They're both bald. That he went to college with Jerry. His nickname from his high school gym teacher was also Can't Stand Yeah. Um, Can't Stand Yeah. Wow. And he also had a bit of an obsession about bathrooms and parking spaces, all uh, well-known characteristics of George. He said that the reason for him suing was not just because he felt like it was uncredited, but the fact that his last name and his likeness, physically speaking, was like George and, you know, given the popularity of Seinfeld through the 90s, was actually ruining his life. And he basically wanted compensation that reflected his, quote, pain and suffering. He should have done what Kenny did and start his own reality tour. I think you know, so, he wasn't yeah. thinking straight. Yeah, I think um, I think rather than you know see it as a negative, he could have uh, leveraged it and and you know done pretty well for himself. We do talk about that. Yeah, a lot yeah absolutely. Kenny Kramer in the interview, so check that out if you want to know what we're talking about there. Um, yeah, Kenny turned the lemons into lemonade, didn't he? He did. He did. Now, like I said, he sued him for a hundred million dollars. Obviously, NBC were not keen to pay him any money and defended nah. themselves in court. He lost, and he actually lost money defending himself. And he was uh, ordered by the judge to pay, um, I'm, I'm guessing the city or the court or someone, a $2,500 fine for filing a frivolous lawsuit and oh, that wow. any uh, claimed resemblance was purely coincidental. Finally, in the uh, article, which I'll put a link to in the show notes as well, Jerry uh, said that he wasn't amused by the lawsuit and, quote, the universe would be out uh, out of kilter if someone named, Const- named Costanza won anything, which I think is a nice little... <laughs> Uh, nice little jab and uh, obviously a reference yeah. to George being a poor unfortunate soul. So Michael was a loser like him, like George. Yeah, I guess so. Well, he was, <laughs> and another coincidence that I didn't pick up until just now is that he, at the time, was a real estate agent. So <laughs> much like George. Oh, in the wow. Yeah. Fab, fab. Uh, he had one successful break on the stock market and, you know, he made a bit of money like <laughs> George in the stock tip and then basically that was the highlight of his adult life and the rest just fell and he just went to shit and there he is in the bookstore, you know, season nine, episode 17 and he's trying to steal books for uh, retribution against uh, bookstores. Yeah, that's it. All downhill from there. That's his life. All downhill. That's it. Yeah, so like I said, not uh, recent Seinfeld news, which is what I typically cover, but um, a cool, you know, I guess, semi-historical Seinfeld tidbit that I had no idea about and I'm surprised I didn't know considering uh, how much we talk about all these sort of circumstances surrounding the show, not only in the present day, but also in the past. So yeah, really cool little article. Yeah, nice little bit of history there. Yeah, for sure. And uh, that's Mm. all the Seinfeld news for the week. Very good, my friend. Let's uh, have a really quick break. And when we come back, we're talking about the secondary characters from today's episode, The Bookstore. Hello, folks. Matt McCoy here, a.k.a. Lloyd Braun from Seinfeld. And I'm telling you right now, I do not want to be a secondary character. The Bookstore first aired in the US on April 8th, 1998, directed by Andy Ackerman and written by Spike Ferriston, Darren Henry and Mark Jaff. This season 9 episode, what happens uh, while at Brentano's, George is forced to buy an expensive art book after taking it into the bathroom. French Impressionism. Yeah, a, uh, a book that Elaine is very, very into, obviously given her literary skills and and, uh, and and taste. It makes sense that she's also into art and it also makes sense that George uh, couldn't care less about the book. No, he just wanted to read something in the bathroom. Coffee, yeah. brand muffins in a bathroom. <laughs> I like how he ups his What price do you expect? As he's trying yeah. to offload the book, I, like, I love how he uh, he tries to sell it a lane for one twenty five, and then he tries to get uh, two hundred dollars from the from the thrift store. You know, he's, even though yeah. even though his chances are slipping away from him, he's still increasing his price because he's just so just <laughs> disconnected from reality. <laughs> I love when Jerry walks in yeah, and he sees the book, and Jerry's like, "Don't go near that book." And yeah. George is like, "Jerry, you're simmering." <laughs> he goes, "What is that?" And then Jerry tries like? to explain, "Simmer, yeah. simmer." Simmer. Yeah. The book provided a lot of comedy. I love it. It did. It did. George has a hard time getting rid of the said book. Uh, Jerry catches Uncle Leo shoplifting and he has a hard time dealing with the situation. Kramer and Newman set up a rickshaw business using New York's homeless population, but the plan quickly backfires. Elaine gets in trouble when she has a drunken makeout session at Peterman's Christmas party and Peterman orders the guy to attend rehab. And the guy's name's Zach. He is played by Jonathan Penner. Other secondary characters, Morty and Helen Seinfeld, Barney Martin, and Liz Sheridan, of course, make an appearance. John Grease plays Rusty, the homeless man. Ted Rooney, he plays Crichton, the manager of Brentano's. Sonia Eddy makes her second and final return on the show as Rebecca De Mornay. De Mornay? It's De Mornay. <laughs> 
Merrin Dungy plays the Brentano's cashier. Kevin Ruff plays Resnick, the security guard, the 5150 Swarm Swarm security guard. And Joe Bodbiff plays Joe, the other homeless person. The government. The I'll government. take the job. Potato salad. Potato salad. <laughs> yes. Anyway, a bit of trivia about the episode. Earth, Wind and Fire's Shining Star is played when Peterman gets up to dance. And that happened in the season eight episode, The Little Kicks. And that's where Elaine did her Little Kicks dance to that same track in that same venue that they were in. I love the callback as well when uh, George goes, you didn't dance, did you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know. I know he was really shocked because he was there to see it the first, uh, that time. Yeah, he, uh, he couldn't believe what he was seeing. Also, the, uh, when the waitress comes up to Elaine and says, you know, if you dance, I can't remember what she says exactly, but something like, you know, let us know so we can, I can tell someone or something like that. Oh, no, uh, let, yeah. let the chefs know because they missed out last that's time. Right. Yeah, that's yeah, right. That's yeah. right. A couple, couple of funny callbacks yeah. to uh, Elaine's <laughs> terrible dancing. <laughs> that's right. And uh, the character Crichton, played by Ted Rooney, he's the manager from Brentano's. He was supposed to be named as clerk, but he was changed to Crichton because of his striking resemblance to author Michael Crichton. I'm aware of who Michael Crichton is. Obviously, he's uh, a very famous what they call an airport author you know Stephen King Michael Crichton you know they rhyme write thrillers and crime novels and stuff like that but uh, I'd never seen mm. him before and when you google him he is very strikingly similar <laughs> very similar yeah so the writers just called him Crichton even though he's, his name isn't mentioned at all yeah Crichton Crichton I wonder if that's his last name Ah, who knows? I guess when we talk about him, we can discuss. Maybe he's like Newman. He's got one first name and surname. That's it. Yeah, true. Just new, just Cryenton. Yeah, Cryenton. <laughs> or if he gives like his business card, he just says Crichton on it. That's it. Just Crichton. Yeah, very, very slick. Well, Steve Crichton. Yes. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> what trivia do you have, bud? The episode was actually pretty controversial when it first aired because of Jay Peterman's mention of the Chinaman's nightcap when he was referring to heroin. It prompted a lot of Asian American viewers to uh, write into the show. Uh, they weren't happy. And uh, one of those writers actually compared it to a couple of other racial slurs, which we obviously won't repeat. The NBC issued an apology and they did remove that line from uh, subsequent airings. However, you can see the line in its full, I guess, glory or uh, full form um, mm. in the DVDs and uh, on streaming services. So yeah, unsurprisingly controversial. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I watched it on Amazon Prime and that scene was intact, so it makes sense. But I do understand, you know, completely, and especially that term was used like 200 years ago to reference Asian people, so I can see why it caused a lot of hurt in the community. Yeah, of course. It, um, Yeah, it's uh, very appropriate that it was removed. It, yeah. It's surprising, like just a, a thought about that, uh, not about the line per se, but, you know, there's a couple of, I guess, racially insensitive uh, episodes of Seinfeld that are considered maybe not up to scratch with today's standards, one being the cigar story. Indian and the second being the Puerto Rican day, you know, they're talked about often amongst fans and, and TV critics and just, you know, a lot of people in general about sort of not really uh, standing the test of time. But I've never heard anyone talk about this particular line. It's it's surprising that it's not sort of grouped in with those other examples of, uh, you know, scenes in the show that uh, maybe are a bit uh, out of date. Maybe because it's just so quick, you know, it's not it's yeah. not like the butt of, it's not like the butt of a, a joke that goes for the whole episode. It's just like one line and yeah, most people probably don't realise it. No, that's that's a good mm. point. Actually, it's not as um not yeah, as obvious. Yeah. No, um, and the only bit of trivia left that I have, Steve, is this is the second time that George has tried to steal something because he was trying to get even with the store. Um, he did this last <laughs> time in The Stranded in season three. Um, when he he thinks he's shortchanged in the uh, pharmacist, the drugstore, and uh, he tries to get even by stealing something, and he gets caught once again by a security card. Yeah, you think it would have learned the first time, but uh, you know it is George we're talking about, and obviously no hugging, no learning, mate. No hugging, no learning. That's it. That's it. No <laughs> uh, the final bit of trivia I have is that it's one of only two episodes that has uh, Jerry's bike removed from the wall. You always see it in the, I guess, the little hallway section between his living room and his bedroom. And it's usually a green kind of mountainy bike. But uh, Kramer in the little weird but funny uh, intro montage when, when uh, Jerry leaves to do his gig and Kramer gets up to all sorts of shenanigans, he rides the bike around. Um, yeah, he does. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a cool little setup for the episode. I like that. I like the idea of Kramer just getting up to all sorts of mischief when uh, Jerry's gone. Almost like a teenage kid, you know, when their parents go out for the night or go away for the weekend. They're like, yeah, I'm just going to just gonna stay home and do my homework and watch some TV. As soon as they leave the door, they're, you know, having parties and getting up to all sorts of mischief. I like that. You know, Very Tom Cruise risky business style. Yeah, yeah. It, it makes sense yeah. with Kramer that, you know, he sort of acts like a, a teenager who can get away with things while, uh, while the parents are away. That must be yeah. one of the longest opening scenes ever in 
in Seinfeld. Yeah, yeah. Quite a lot happens. There's like eight or nine, maybe even 10 little uh, mini scenes that make up that compilation of uh, all the shenanigans Kramer gets up to. So I like how he has a uh, like a smoking party, basically. Um, mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently all those uh, extras for that scene were just cast and crew, which is a pretty common thing that they did on Seinfeld when they were just like, well, we need to fill out this scene. So we'll just uh, get everyone who's here already and jump in front of the camera and, uh, you know, stand around and pretend you're milling around at a party. Mm-hmm, nice. Yes. And uh, sorry, just to finish that trivia off, the only other episode that uh, has uh, Jerry's bike removed from the wall is uh, The Apology, another season nine episode, episode nine of season nine. I can't remember what scene or how it's removed, but um, yeah. There you go. It just wasn't there. I don't. I don't think a bike was in that episode from memory when we did that. But yeah, yeah I, must, I, I don't know. It must have just been. Yeah, maybe it was just gone in the background, or, or was maybe getting repaired or something. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can't. Can't actually. Can't actually remember. Anyway. No, I don't either. Anyway, fella, should we just jump into the secondary characters from the bookstore? Sounds good. Who are we talking about? Uh, why don't we talk about the, I guess, the main secondary character in the episode, um, even though we have talked about him at length uh, in his own episode and uh, in other episodes he's appeared in, Uncle Leo. You ratted me out. You ratted <laughs> Hello? me out. Hello. I love the exasperated <laughs> hello. <laughs> you know, yeah. he's arrested. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uncle Leo, yes, played by Len Lesser. He has his own very special What's the Deal with episode. So if you want to know all about Uncle Leo in the context of the entire series, that we, when we talked about him, you can go back and listen to that one in your feed. Um, So Uncle Leo, we did establish, or it's established in the episode that he uh, has a prior conviction. He, uh, he was committed for, or he uh, was charged for a crime of passion. And uh, from memory, Steve, when we did the What's the Deal with episode with Leo, I think I think we mentioned that it was probably he beat his ex-wife Stella's lover when he caught them in bed. I think that was the theory that we had. And I uh, probably didn't kill him, but at least beat him you know, pretty badly or enough to get a conviction. I think as well, I remember us talking about in his What's the Deal with episode that when someone mentions a crime of passion, it's usually to do with betrayal, like lover's betrayal or, or revenge or something, something to do with your heart being broken and you getting some sort of revenge. So that makes sense given the description of the crime. Yeah, and- yeah. And in that scene where Jerry is, uh, you know, talks to Leo at Monks to try and resolve the situation and then Leo says, whoever betrays me, I never forget. He's uh, he's pretty serious, uh, Len Lesser, or in this uh, in this scene. He's not his usual happy-go-lucky self. Yeah, betrayal is especially hurtful towards Leo, um, given the betrayal uh, he experienced with his former wife, Stella, her former lover. So I think uh, you know, after going through that, any uh, betrayal after that would cause him extra pain and he would take it uh, even more seriously than, uh, you know, than someone else. So it makes sense that he is especially bothered and uh, upset with Jerry after he was betrayed. And I mean, you know, although Jerry had a point, uh, had a, a relevant point that he shouldn't shoplift, the fact that he ratted yeah. out his uncle is, I think, a, a legit reason for Uncle Leo to be upset. You know, you don't betray your family. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Blood is thicker than water. Yeah, and I think I think he could have um, you know talked him out of doing any more shoplifting without actually getting him arrested, even though he didn't mean to. Like you said, he just wanted to put a scare in him. The fact that he even said anything at all, I think, was a bit uh, a bit over the line. I think he could have handled it privately. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, it's funny because Leo, he's aware of him stealing stuff. You know, he pretends to be senile. But we mentioned in his What's the Deal with episode that uh, we thought that Leo became progressively senile as the show went along. But he's actually still a bit bit switched on Leo when it comes to to uh, theft. Yeah, no, he, he knows how to, to play the game when he needs to. You know, he, he just says outright, you know, what's the big deal? Like, if, if I get caught, I'll just say, I'm an old man. I'm confused. Where am I? So, yeah, he knows how to he knows how to play it up when he needs to. And he tries his best, but then uh, the security guard won't take it. <laughs> and then no, they arrest him. That. that security guard, who we'll talk about uh, a bit later on, is very, very on the ball, very uh, unwilling to accept Leo's excuses. He probably sees all that sort of stuff all the time. Do you have anything else about Uncle Leo? Well, not much more in the episode. I do like that scene where um, it's the flashback or the the dream sequence from Jerry and Leo's in prison and he's got the Jerry and the hello, you know, stamped on his hands. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Jerry, hello. Ring, ring, answer the damn phone. Yeah, it's it's funny how, uh, you know, Uncle Leo is, is sharp in this episode in that, you know, he knows how to, even though it doesn't work out for him, he at least has a plan to weasel his way out of being caught for shoplifting. But a phone ringing in the distance really bothers him, which to me demonstrates mm. his his decline into like senility. And you know how old people just get really rattled by sounds and noises and they're just a bit disoriented and their things agitate them a bit more. So, you know, he's still got some sharpness, but you can still see, you know, in the same scene, that slow decline into that more old man, confused old man state that he, you know, eventually he does, would have gone yeah. to. He does mention though that he has ringing in his ears, so he probably oh, thinks it's true. the phone. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's like, answer the damn phone, but his, his, ear, his ear just rings. So that's, that's probably where the phone comes from. Because you know in that scene with him and Jerry, there's no phone ringing. He thinks that there's the phone. But, yeah, it's probably a bit a bit, a bit from column A and a bit from column B. Yeah, I mean, even if you've got, you know, tinnitus or, or, or sorry, tinnitus or, you know, ringing in your ears, surely you'd be able to differentiate between a, a phone ringing and ringing in your ears. I mean, they're distinct sounds, but who knows? <laughs> maybe, maybe he's got a special ringing that sounds like a phone call. <laughs> it's a special superpower. Yeah, just some a, a, a weird, unique form of tinnitus that sounds exactly like a phone ringing, and he's constantly agitated. And, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, that's why. That's why he's a bit, yeah. a bit uh, you know, a bit prickly sometimes because he's got to deal with uh-huh. that. Which is fair enough. Yeah. I had a sore back today this morning, and uh, you know, when you've got a sore back, you don't want to do anything. You know, a lot of injuries or, or discomforts you can kind of live with and and just except but uh backs you know they just make you want to shut down so for uncle leo mm. maybe his tinnitus is that it's that it's just very debilitating yeah for sure mm. all right mm-hmm. let's talk about uh we well we've already mentioned the security guard his name's resnick let's talk about him in the episode yes resnick he is played by kevin ruff don't have any acting credits for him actually <laughs> unfortunately but uh yeah you don't uh, hear him uh, hear the name resnick during the episode but you will see it on his name tag yeah and i assume that's his last name yeah his last name yeah i think he's probably ex-military or he's an ex-cop maybe he got like a war injury which you know he might not be able to like go on the battlefield or maybe he retired with honors you know honorable discharge or something and uh, he's got a job working in brentano's which is like a i guess like a store which is kind of like the older borders stores you know it's like the bookstore slash cafe thing yeah it's like Mm -hmm. a cafe department store for books i do miss yeah yeah like like borders yeah me too remember that one in brisbane i used to go there all the time me too man it was great i used to get like they used to have the cds on display and then you get the headphones and you can listen to tracks it's really cool yeah i used to spend hours on the little uh seats the little cube seats and read books i didn't take them into the bathroom but uh definitely <laughs> definitely read some books and put them back on the shelf yeah yeah as did i it was just it was incredible they had like everything they had like little gifts for like father's day and and stuff yeah. they, had, they had everything it was a shame that they uh they shut down oh amazon uh, came along and you know fucked them up just like a lot of other things <laughs> <laughs> and that's why jeff bezos is nearly a trillionaire <laughs> yeah he's on his way to $200 billion over the last it. week. So, yeah, mm. he's, he's, uh, he's doing all right. He could spare he a few is. art books, you know, being written off by taking it to the bathroom. He wouldn't He wouldn't notice Just that. right enough. Just right <laughs> enough. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, Resnick, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think, like I said, he's probably ex-military or police, law enforcement somehow. And, uh, yeah, he, I think he takes his job really seriously. He probably, I think when we talk about Crichton, Crichton, he's pretty, I think he likes to run a really steady ship at Brentano's. And I think he probably recruited or hired, I think Resnick probably is hired directly from Brentano's. I don't think he's like contracted out by a security firm. I think he's probably an actual Brentano's employee. Um, And maybe he helped initiate the policy of 5150s if someone shoplifts. I think it's probably from his suggestion. Yeah, I, I like that theory. Just as you were talking about it, I was thinking something similar where you said that maybe he was ex-military. Maybe he, I mean, he doesn't seem to be disabled or like he was affected by his battle in any significant way because he's very sharp he's physically capable he's obviously very fit he's you probably know, just so, honorably discharged or something yeah, you know maybe I, I could, yeah, yeah. You know, it, he doesn't look too old either he looks maybe mid-30s so maybe he fought in the first gulf war which would have been about five or six years before this and you know yep. served his time and was uh, discharged but wanted to stay in the sort of law enforcement uh, side of his career i could imagine a situation mm. with maybe brentano's maybe this store or all the stores you know maybe they did have a like a head security officer or someone to look after the security policy but they were still experiencing a lot of shoplifting so mm. uh, you know maybe Crichton and all the other store managers and whoever owns Brentano's Mr. Brentano I'm assuming um, maybe they got together mm-hmm. and thought we need we need a more you know like a more serious policy maybe we should consult some like military guys or professional security guys and uh, you know they got they got Resnick on board and yeah like you said he helped them develop a more sort of serious policy to to crack down on the on the shoplifting and I imagine it would have been very effective because they uh, they don't fuck around. They they swarm. They swarm. Yeah, fifty one fifty swarm swarm. Yeah, I mean a bit a uh, bit heavy handed, but uh, you know mm. maybe that's what was required to uh, to to stem the flow of shoplifting. Well, a lot of those books are expensive, man. Like the one that George steals, like, you know, the one that George takes in the bathroom is like a hundred dollars, man. Yeah, and I mean, imagine if he you know stole like books here and there. Yeah, yeah, 90, I mean, ninety eight. 98. It's like nearly ago. like 100 and something, 180 or something these days, maybe close to 200 maybe today. Yeah. And I mean, that would be yeah, well over yeah. $200 Australian, which is, I mean, it's a beautiful yeah, book. Easy. Those books are pretty expensive, mm. but um, yeah, they're not, they're not just carrying cheap paperbacks. They obviously deal in the, the higher end <laughs> book market. 
So, uh, which would attract a lot of shoplifters, which would, uh, you know, keep Resnick and his crew busy. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I, um, I, I respect Resnick. He's a, he's a staunch security man. Yep. He knows what's up. He does. All right. On the opposite end of the spectrum in terms of seriousness <laughs> and having their shit together, let's talk about the homeless men, Rusty and, uh, uh the, the other homeless man. I didn't get his name. <laughs> Joe. Joe. Um, so, yes. So Rusty was played by John Grease and Joe was played by Joe Bodbiff. Yeah, Rusty. I love when Kramer references Rusty the horse. He goes, I used to know a horse called Rusty. <laughs> no disrespect. <laughs> yeah, a lot of um, a lot of really good uh, callbacks in this episode. Elaine's dancing, Rusty the horse. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, I don't know how Kramer and Newman, you know, recruited homeless people. Well, they obviously don't want to pay them much at all, if anything. Uh, I don't know. I guess Rusty, he seems pretty young, like maybe in his late 20s, early 30s or something. Maybe he yeah. just fell on hard times or lived, was in a broken home and has been homeless for a lot of his life. I don't know. He must have had a really, really bad childhood or bad family situation. And uh, yeah, he's living on the streets of New York and in Battery Park. He, uh, you see him sleep with newspaper on the bench. Yeah. In that scene when uh, Kramer and Newman find him and they wake him up to get his, get their rickshaw back, he says, oh, so did I get the job? And, you know, sarcastically, Kramer's like, yeah, yeah, you got the job. He, mm. he kind of just goes back to sleep. So he doesn't seem too bothered by the fact that he, he um, you know, he screwed up his chance to be a rickshaw driver, pilot. I don't know yeah. what, the, what the appropriate term is there, but he's just like, all right. And he just kind of rolls over and puts the newspaper back on himself and goes back to sleep. So, yeah. Well, maybe I'll throw a curveball at you. Maybe Rusty took the idea of rickshaw people around from Kramer and maybe he wanted to start his own business oh, and probably maybe and maybe, maybe yeah maybe he obviously he couldn't afford the rickshaw because of his situation but maybe he stole the rickshaw and he maybe had a couple of tourists or customers or whatever you know doing a, doing a mm. few things and maybe he found it was too tiring to take him around or whatever and probably just had enough he's like oh you take the rickshaw or whatever you know I've made yeah. my 50 bucks or whatever it is and that I've made over two days and you know that's it yeah no that's true take that even a step further maybe he thought you know I need an idea to like like to lift me out of homelessness. I, you know, I need something to like, uh, I need to th- almost throw myself a lifeline by coming up with a business idea. Maybe he stole the rickshaw thinking I can turn this into like a legitimate business and he stole the rickshaw to, you know, get used to it to see if it would be viable as a as a transport method, you know, and he and he used it for a day or two just to sort of get his head around it and, and suss it out. And then, you know, I'm, I'm assuming maybe he decided that, you know, it was viable and, and uh, beyond just getting a, sh- a short term uh, cash injection from using it over the day or two that he had it, maybe he, you know, he then somehow got some money together and, and developed like a ritual business or something similar. You know? like, like, <laughs> but the thing like, is, like, he doesn't, he, he seems pretty, he doesn't seem to care when Kramer takes back the ritual though. No, so I don't no, know no. if, I don't know if he, like, because he obviously, if he was trying to make a go of it, he'd probably be pretty cut up if Kramer got it back. You know, he'd, he'd well, be like, I, think, I want the rickshaw. I think he realized that he only needed the rickshaw for like short, for, yeah, just to make a bit of money to, you know, maybe buy some food, but just for that initial business research, you know, he'd, he'd gotten what he needed out of that initial rickshaw theft. <laughs> and then, you know, uh, in the, you know, soon after this, he got some money together and made his own rickshaw business or something similar to a rickshaw, <laughs> like a, another form of uh, more, I guess, low Low-fi, is that the word? Low-tech? Low Low-fi, low-tech, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now he's got hundreds of operations across yeah, the Asia-Pacific yeah. I mean, region. Uh, yeah, he <laughs> He's could, a billionaire. He could, be, yeah, he could be a rickshaw mogul, who knows? And um, <laughs> and he's changed his name to rickshaw. <laughs> That'd be good, Rusty. Yeah, I used to be homeless. Rhyme. Now I'm now I'm Rick Shaw. <laughs> Rick Rusty Shaw. Rick Rusty Shaw. Yeah, Rick quote Rusty Shaw. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't seem, uh, you know, we may as well talk about, was it Bob? Joe. Joe. <laughs> he can't quite get the name right. Uh, yeah, Joe. I can't quite get the name. I don't know why. He, I think he's been homeless a bit longer. He seems uh, like he suffers from some, maybe like not schizophrenia, but, you know, a mental illness that makes him a bit detached from reality. Um, yeah. I know, you know, and he seems to be a bit paranoid, maybe, that the government's after him, like maybe a bit of a persecution complex or something like that. One thing I did notice was that he salutes Kramer and Newman. Maybe he used to be in the military. Maybe he's like a, you know, that that stereotypical damaged Vietnam vet, you know, and when he came back mm. in the mid, mid-70s mid after being in Vietnam, he just couldn't fit into regular society. So, unfortunately, he became homeless and, you know, he's been that way ever since. And he's against that, the government, which makes sense. He was against yeah. conscription. Maybe yeah. he was conscripted against his own will. And he looks about the appropriate age. He looks sort of maybe mid-40s in this episode. And, you know, Vietnam mm. would have been about 25 years prior to this episode. I think they all came back around 73, 74. So, you know, he would have been yeah, in his yeah. early 20s around then. So I think uh, mm-hmm. I think that lines up. And, and the saluting kind of kind of gives it away too. 
Yeah, yeah. And, he's, and he suffers from maybe from PTSD as well. Yeah. As, yeah, as well as yeah. a multitude of other illnesses. Yeah, he just seems a bit more, you know, sadly, but um, mentally damaged than, than Rusty, you know. And I think that's yeah. maybe more of a longer longer term homelessness. Mm, I think some of the, the commentary regarding homelessness, you know, from Kramer and Newman, I thought that was a bit harsh, you know. It was oh, kind sure. of very belittling yeah. to homeless people. I mean, not all homeless people are like that, you know, crazy no, I, and stuff. I think that was that rubbed me a bit the wrong way because I have dealt with homeless people volunteering and stuff before and you know i know i know it's a show and it's you know it's it's meant to be funny but i don't know it just kind of kind of got to me a bit you know yeah no i mean the you know homeless people get kicked around a lot like physically and and metaphorically so yeah when uh and and kramer especially because he's usually a an advocate for the for the underdog for the Mm. little guy so the fact that he is willing to uh exploit the homeless not not just for slave labor but just to sort of you know, he's, he's very disrespectful, as you said, which is surprising coming from Kramer because he's usually the one to to stick up for the little guy. Maybe Newman, you know, put something in his ear. Yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe he, um, even someone as principled as Kramer, uh, you know, can make a mistake like that. But uh, I, I think yeah. he would have learned his lesson and, and realized that maybe it wasn't the nicest thing to do <laughs> after, uh, after he had his rickshaw stolen. <laughs> anyway, should, do you have any other notes on the homeless people? No, just that. All right. Shall we talk about Zach, Elaine's, uh, well, I guess, quasi-episode boyfriend? Temporary, short term love interest yeah just like a hit of heroin a short term temporary fix um <laughs> played by actor and writer jonathan penner he was a 1994 oscar nominee for best short film would you believe for the yeah. short film down on the waterfront and uh, he also appeared in the films let the devil wear black and down periscope and uh, yes zach is a i thought it was cocaine because peterman says that um he went to thailand to get low price whistles zach did and uh, he uh, <laughs> peterman kind of enabled him by helping him with cocaine dealers no i think it's heroin Oh, heroin. Okay, even worse. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I Crazy. mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, you think of, and I won't use the word, but the the word that we mentioned before that was um, mm, omitted yes. from the subsequent airings after the first uh, airing of the show. He, you know, that's that's associated with opium, and you know, opium's very closely related to heroin. So, and you know, you've got the Golden Triangle in Southeast Asia, a large supply of the world's heroin. So, I think mm. uh, that's that's what it is. Probably what that is. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. He uh, makes out with Elaine, but I I, I actually found this subplot as well to be a bit you know questionable too like i, I had a yeah. couple of issues with it like elaine is like you know the skank the office skank where it's zach that's doing all the initiation and stuff you know i think that was probably a bit uh, a bit rough on elaine she didn't deserve that well i mean it's of its time you know where the idea of yeah women, yeah you know, sexually promiscuous in any way was seen as like taboo or something that they should avoid so you know, and, yeah, and I understand is, it was the time. Yeah, yeah, it was it was, yeah, it was but, on the time. Yeah, 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 but but looking at it through twenty twenty eyes, it's a bit a bit distasteful. And yeah, you do feel sorry for Elaine. And I mean, you know, all mm. she did was I understand if Lane feels embarrassed, like that she can feel however she wants to feel. But she only made out with him drunkenly. Yeah. It's not like they. It's not like they had sex in the toilet or something a bit more salacious. So the fact mm. that she was copying shit for something as innocent as a as a drunken workplace pash is uh yeah is is a bit bit rough for sure. A bit rough. Um, but yeah. Zach makes out with someone else in the office and, uh, yeah. you know, because Elaine tries to use the idea that Zach is her boyfriend, you know, to try and say, hey, you know, we're together, but uh, that doesn't work out. And then Peterman gets Elaine to be uh, the person to help him get off cold turkey. Yeah, I'm going to guess that Zach is a fairly impulsive person. Um, maybe yeah, doesn't have I think so. uh, a lot of skills in like thinking things through and considering the potential negative outcomes of the choices he makes. And, you know, the fact that he's a former addict and uh, he got addicted to heroin or opium again after going to thailand um mm-hmm. you know and the fact that he you know he makes out with elaine and then he makes out with the next woman at the office yeah i think it's pretty easy to see that he's quite impulsive and he just wants short-term satisfaction you know he doesn't think things through and take his time with you know maybe anything which is probably good for jay peterman you know maybe he's just got like a really like exciting versatile business aspect to him mm. you know maybe he's like a really good salesman because he's just really good at you know that sort of exciting bombastic salesman vibe but yeah i think it does a disservice to him in his personal life it does it does and uh, i think as well steve i'm going to go out on a limb here and say when he was in the rickshaw accident with newman uh you know that was the he, he says before he jumps onto the or gets onto the road uh this is the first day for you know the rest of my life or my new life or whatever he says and uh, <laughs> seconds later newman hits him with the rickshaw by mistake uh i think that maybe he got seriously injured and ended up in hospital and i think he went because of his you mentioned his impulsive behavior i think he went from being a heroin addict to maybe a painkiller addict you know being addicted to morphine you know painkillers so yeah that that probably got him back on as well 
that's kind of yeah. like a dark ending that I have for him. No, I mean, but that that lines up and checks out considering his past and what happens in this episode. And uh, opiates are a, a pretty common downfall for former addicts, you know. Even if yeah. they have a clean life and they get an injury and they get on painkillers, it can send a lot of people back to those darker days. So I think that's I think that's a very good observation. Especially the morphine-based ones. Exactly, yeah. I mean, just look at the opiate epidemic in America. It's it's very sad. Very uh, sad, yeah. But uh, yeah, I think that's what happened to him, unfortunately. No, I think that's... Um, I think that's a really good idea, or well, not good idea, but a uh, a good a good take. I mean, Newman was probably okay. He probably didn't get injured too much, but uh, oh, the ritual was probably damaged <laughs> damaged beyond repair. But uh, yeah, Zach copped the brunt the brunt of it. Yeah, and I can imagine Newman, you know, maybe coming to, you know, when people run to the scene to make sure everyone's okay. Newman coming to and just almost like a George Costanza making up an excuse or blaming mm, on yeah. Kramer or you know trying to weasel his way out of uh, seriously injuring him, <laughs> and just after he got caught. <laughs> Of course, of course. Yeah. He doesn't want any responsibility. Well, Kramer, Kramer legs it. He doesn't want a bar of it. Yeah. Kramer's like, <laughs> And I like his like funny run, you know, when he sort of, he runs up the street and starts turning the corner before the camera cuts away. It's like a weird physical comedy Kramer run. I like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it too. Anyway, do you have any other notes on poor Zach? No, no, poor Zach. Yeah, no. Uh, unfortunate run of events. A very, a very rough trot, as they say in Australia. <laughs> Okay, moving on. Why don't we talk about uh, Rebecca De Mornay? Yes, she's played by Sonia Eddy for the second time in the series. She's known for the film Pee Wee's Big Holiday, and her last appearance was in The Muffin Tops, where she complains about the homeless people being given the leftover stumps from muffins from uh, the Muffin Tops store, Top of the Muffin to You. Yeah, so Rebecca De Mornay, we do see that she does work in a, like a, I guess, like a Goodwill store in the US, you know, one of those charity stores, like we have here, like Lifeline stores, St. Vincent. DePaul, uh, you know, those kind of salvos, salvation armies. I did actually catch the name of it in the establishing shot. It's called the Housing Works Thrift Store. So I'm guessing the Housing Works is an organization that uh, helps homeless people. It helps homeless people, yeah. So yeah, she's been working in volunteer, you know, volunteer work for the homeless people for you know at least a season, <laughs> a couple of seasons since the Muffin Tops. Yep. And yeah, we see Rebecca D. Mornay and I think it makes sense to bring her back because she does work in that for that community and uh, George is trying to, you know, pull a swift one and uh, she doesn't want <laughs> take any she doesn't take a bar of anything from from uh, from george yeah she uh and she used to work at brentano's as well so she knows all the the tricks to offload uh toilet books as she says and i love it's funny uh, though <laughs> it's funny though it's funny because she you know she says that um she can tell it's a brentano's book but in the previous scene like the the cashier from brentano she puts like a you know she scans the barcode or something and then it's been flagged do you think maybe there's like a like a logo or a stamp or something which symbolizes that the uh, book's been soiled. Yeah, because uh, Rebecca doesn't do anything to identify it as a bathroom book. She just knows. So Yeah, she looks yeah, at the um, inside of the cover. Yeah, there, there must be something that uh, Brentano's employees would only know about because it's nothing obvious to George. I think otherwise he would have seen it before trying to offload it to her. So yeah, it must be something subtle that uh, only Brentano's employees know. <laughs> and Rebecca still remembers. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, I do for like sure. her her specific threat to George that she's going to jump the counter and punch him in the brain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just the idea of, I mean, even though one can't punch another person in the brain, just using that as a threat is uh, very funny to me. Yeah, it was a nice, nice line. I was saying to you before we started recording that she's not as sassy and aggressive as she was in the muffin tops. She's still, you know, she's still very direct towards George. But no, I, I found in the muffin tops, she was even more aggressive. The uh, muffin stumps. Yeah, she she's a lot more fiery in the muffin tops. I think maybe because in this episode she's you know she was working last time but she was on her own she wasn't in a in a workplace situation she was out on the street so maybe the fact that she was working in the store and there were customers there and maybe her boss was in the store or you know other employees she had to tone it down a bit just for professionalism's sake but uh, i think if it was out on the street or out outside of the shop she would have been her muffin tops level fieriness fieriness yeah so she understands the book and uh, that it's soiled and it's from brentano's because she used to work there and uh, yeah she doesn't want to take a bar of george she probably gets a lot of people who try and give stuff to the charity stores or the thrift stores but you know they probably try and get top dollar and then rebecca's like dude this is a charity <laughs> you know we don't have a lot of money yeah i'm surprised that they even maybe it works differently in america for thrift stores but usually well for us it's just all donation based even if it's a high quality item that you could sell for a lot of money it's purely donations but maybe it's a bit different in america i'm, I'm not entirely sure if it is let us know if you're an american listener and you know uh, that 
would be interesting to know. Uh, but yeah, I, yeah, I agree. I agree that she would see all sorts of people trying to come up with all sorts of excuses, mostly dodgy, <laughs> to um, to try and offload <laughs> their you know toilet books and other soiled <laughs> items. You know, trying to get money out of them. Sure, and I think I think she's yeah. seen enough to know she can probably pick him out of the lineup. She could before even George starts talking about the book, she probably just has a, a vibe that something you know is going to try and do something dodgy. I think she's yeah. she's onto it. She's very sharp. Yeah, I appreciate that they brought Rebecca back for this episode. I mean, they could have easily had like another cashier, but I think because of her regression that she established in the muffin tops, and yeah, you know, she's kind of. I mentioned last week when we were saying that we were going to do this episode that I think Rebecca's like a cult secondary, like a cult favorite secondary character amongst the community. Yep. I I think people can identify with her a lot because, you know, a lot of staff in service positions, usually it almost in a way uh, plays on the stereotype of like the victims of like Karens, you know, which is a pretty common term these days, Mm. you know, like service staff and people who work in retail always just copying shit from rude customers, but they have to bite their tongue and they have to go with that old adage of the customer is always right. I think because Rebecca just doesn't take any shit from anyone and she's just like no no i'm gonna tell you what's going on here like you are not gonna pull this one over on me or my homeless you know the people i look after i think people see her as like a champion for retail and hospitality staff who can't do that she's almost like a like like an inspiration to them because they can't do that i wish they did probably get fired i wish retail staff would do that you know oh yeah yeah Yeah, for sure i'm sure i'm sure some retail staff you know reach their end point and just give it straight back or you know there are exceptions where people are just so rude that they have to be told off but for the most mm. part they have to just kind of cop it whereas rebecca she's like no you are you're my house <laughs> i'm you're gonna tell turf. you i'm gonna tell you what's <laughs> up and no no dodgy muffins or toilet books and you know, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna punch you in the brain so i think i think punch she's you fucking, in the brain. i think she's a hero to hospitality and uh and service staff and and th- you know volunteers as well we probably cop a lot of shit from you know just arrogant jerks who look down on their nose on on that type of work so that's for why sure, i think she's man. love because she's just she we need just, more rebecca's in yeah she's just like sure. shit we, we need yeah. more rebecca's in the retail industry for sure yeah i mean it would be it would be a much more balanced affair if more people uh were like rebecca for sure yeah definitely anyway um i only have notes on Crichton. do you have any other secondaries uh i did have one or two on jay peterman but uh nothing really worthwhile to go into nothing you know nothing in this episode establishes anything about jay peterman that we haven't talked about many many times before so yeah just just (laughs) indeed Uh, he's played by ted rooney he's appeared in the films legally blonde gone and big fat liar on tv he has appeared in the gilmore girls as the character maury the uh this is the second gilmore girls actor in a row over across two weeks the the actor who played billy last week uh was in the gilmore girls and so is uh so is this actor and uh, he was also in six episodes of er and uh like resnick with the security policy i think Crichton. i said before he likes to run a really tight ship he seems very by his looks uh, he's very well educated uh, he knows what's in stock and uh, you know he he probably reads different kinds of genres and etc and he's very direct when it comes to the store's bathroom policy he doesn't doesn't stuff around yeah he's he's like a more bookish posh version of Rebecca de Mornay like you know Rebecca de Mornay has mm. got a bit more sass and a bit more fire whereas uh, Crichton yeah, is a yeah. bit more reserved and a bit more kind of passive aggressive passive aggressive but yeah they, they both have a very low tolerance for the shit that customers try and pull over over them um <laughs> that's right I, yeah I, I did notice i did pick up that he said that uh his boss ordered him to make an example out of someone so i'm going to assume that Crichton is the store manager but when he refers yeah to i think boss, he is yes. he might be talking about you know mr or mr brentano or the owner mm-hmm. of the store but i think i think Crichton is the day-to-day manager for sure yeah, I think probably because with Leo, maybe they were going to press charges, but maybe because of his age and stuff, they didn't really want to. I don't know. Maybe maybe Uncle Leo convinced him not to arrest or charge him or whatever. And uh, maybe Crichton said, if we can find someone else to set an example to, then we might let Leo off the hook. Yeah, and I think he was happy to accept George as a substitute because of first of all the toilet book incident, <laughs> yeah. and also That's you know, right. and and you know that that sort of uh, worked against George before he tried to steal the book, and also the fact that yeah. Yeah, he was he was a younger man you know he maybe uncle leo you know Crichton felt a bit symp- a bit of sympathy even though he's sort of uh, he runs a tight ship yeah mm. i think you're right he felt a bit of sympathy for uncle leo and when uh, jerry presented george on a silver platter he thought well this this is a better option because he's maybe a bit less yeah. vulnerable or 
I love how Uncle Leo's referred to everyone by Uncle Leo, even Crichton. He's like, Uncle Leo, yes, I remember him. Yeah, <laughs> everyone Kramer, knows Uncle Leo. Kramer doesn't know who he's talking about until Jerry says Uncle Leo when he goes, hey, it's Leo. And Kramer's like, who? He goes, Uncle Leo. And Uncle he goes, Leo. Leo. Oh. I forgot his first name, Uncle. <laughs> oh, yeah, Uncle Leo. <laughs> yeah. Even yeah, Crichton refers to him as Uncle Leo. <laughs> yeah, I mean, his name is just so... Like the, his title of Uncle Leo is so tied into his name of Leo yeah, that you can't it. separate the two. <laughs> no, no, <Yeah>. no. <laughs> that's it. Anyway, that's all I had about any secondaries. What about you, bud? No, that is it. When we come back, we will find out whether any of the secondary characters from this week's episode, The Bookstore, appear in our top 20 characters of all time and where The Bookstore sits in ranking of all the episodes we've reviewed so far. Well, don't tarry. I'm behind schedule as it is. <laughs> Boy. Boy. Well, this is the first day of the rest of my life. Now, Stephen, the bookstore out of 142 episodes, where does the bookstore sit for you? Uh, it sits at number 114. So I... Okay, yep. I found some of this episode really good, uh, some of it a bit average, and uh, like we've discussed at various points through uh, this podcast episode, uh, some of it just doesn't hold up for a myriad of reasons, and uh, some of it does seem a bit, uh, maybe a bit distasteful and a bit mean uh, and and poorly handled, so I think that works against it as well. But uh, very, very loaded with secondary characters. Um, you know, there were a couple that we, we missed out on talking about because of time and just because maybe they didn't appear in enough scenes. But uh, yeah, lots of secondary characters. Obviously, uh, a reappearance by Rebecca de Mornay is a plus. Crichton was good and the security guard and, and the homeless men, Rusty and uh, Bob. Bob? Joe. Joe. <laughs> Joe. Joe. I don't know why I can't that. Oh, Joe. I, was, I was hoping you'd get that eventually. Joe. Right? No, yes. yes. You're like Rusty and, yes, yes, Bob. No. Joe. Yeah. <laughs> Joe. Yeah, so I, individually I liked all the secondary characters, but just the, sh- the episode as a whole, it just there was just too much. It was just too patchy for me to call a overall good episode, but an episode with some good parts. What about you? Me too, mate. Uh, for me, 122 out of 142. Yeah, I mean, some of the, the subplots were actually pretty weak, I felt. Yeah, and, and like you said, you know, with, with the Elaine and uh, the homeless man subplots, I think, you know, at, at the time I'm sure that was comedy, but I don't know, these days they, it just didn't really feel right, you know, in the in the yeah. modern setting. Yeah, and I don't know, I just, it just, uh, for me, like it had enjoyable parts, uh, but it's just really forgettable for me. Uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, I laughed at some parts. I liked the opening scene with Kramer and we see what happens what he does in jerry's apartment for the first time over a weekend and yeah i mean there were some other highlights but uh yeah no it, it's it's definitely one that's not talked about too often for a reason yeah no i uh, i think we're pretty much in total agreement there do mm. any of the secondaries appear in your top 20 uh no not for me but honorable mentions to rebecca de mornay and resnick what about you uh yeah no neither for me but i would give a uh honorable mention or a shout out to pretty much all the non uh regular secondary characters so rebecca Crichton, the homeless mm. man, and uh, yep. Resnick. I, I liked all of them for their own reasons. So I think they're all really strong secondaries. Very cool. Very cool. Nice. That is another week of But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character. Thank you so much for listening. What are we doing next week, Ivan? We're doing season eight's The Pothole. Nice. I, I can't remember a lot about that episode, but um, I'm sure I'll enjoy it. That's the one with the toilet, uh, the toothbrush in the uh, toilet bowl. Oh, of course. Of course. <laughs> yep. And that bubble head that says, holy cow. Yep. No, it's all it's all mm-hmm. coming back to me. Uh, yes, Celine. Mean- <laughs> yeah, look forward to it. In the meantime, if you want to email us, you can bidwabasspodcast at gmail.com. You can say hello on all forms of social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and even Reddit. You can check out all of our previous episodes, uh, including a recent interview we did with Kenny Kramer on your podcast app of choice. And if you want to rate us or review us, that would be awesome. And you can support us financially as well. That's right. We are on Patreon and PayPal, and you get some bonus goodies on Patreon. So go to patreon.com forward slash Bidwabask and check that out. Finally, we have some really cool announcements coming up and they'll be announced on our Seinfeld Facebook group, Seinfeldisms. It is the biggest Facebook group in the world. Nearly 80,000 members at the time of recording and probably over 80,000 by the time you hear this. Uh, So check Mm. that out. We've got trivia events and uh, all sorts of really cool announcements coming up. So keep an eye on that. Indeed. My name is Ivan. I'm Stephen. And we'll catch you next week in the pothole. Holy cow. Holy cow. (laughs) 